That's Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the heroes. Amen. Well, if you keep your Bibles open at that very interesting passage, I've called this talk, uh, Jesus Polarizes People. It's, it's so easy to miss the point, uh, the point of this story and other bits in the Bible. So let's pray that God will make it clear to us what he wants us to learn. Let's pray. Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Help us to do that this morning, we pray. Amen. Now, our aim in this series of going through Mark has been to discover the original Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, he's not always very popular, not even in some churches now. People want to change him into a more acceptable form, the sort of person that other, other people will find to their liking. So we're going back to basics to discover the real Jesus. Now, the key verse, I think, is verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now, it's very important to know that the Pharisees, the, the men of, of the book, uh, were normally bitterly opposed to the Herodians. They were the politicians, the appeasers with Rome. They were at loggerheads on virtually everything. And yet, here, they come together because they have a, a common enemy. Now, my first point is that animosity grows. Now, if you remember what we've done in the last chapter, you can read about the, the four conflict stories, as they're called. Uh, hostility is deepening against Jesus. Anything he did was wrong in their eyes. What he said, they really didn't like. Just flick back, if you've got your Bible, look at uh, 2 verse 7. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Uh, 
the, his mixing of the wrong types. Look at 2 verse 16. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked, why? Oh, it's hard, isn't it? He wasn't religious uh, in, enough. His fasting, he didn't follow the rules there. Look 2 verse 18. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And then when he uh, picked ears of corn in the field as they're just walking through, that was wrong too, 2.24. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? And here we've got it again. Look at 3 verse 1. Another time. You see, they're still looking for faults uh, that Jesus is doing. And look on to verse 2. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse him. So they watched him carefully. Can you just imagine this scene that Mark's trying to uh, build up for us? So, the first point, growing animosity. Second point is the trial. Here we are in the synagogue, and there's a trial taking place. But what is very strange about this show trial is that it's the religious leaders who are on trial, not Jesus. I don't know if you know the uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, essay, God in the Dock. He was the writer of the Narnia stories. But he said this, the ancient man approached God, or even the gods, as the accused person approaches the judge. For the modern man, the roles are reversed. Man, he is the judge. God is in the dock. Man is, is, is quite a kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, poverty, and disease, he's ready to listen to him. The trial may even end in God's acquittal, but the important thing is that man is on the bench and God is on the dock. But in our story, it's very much Jesus in control. He's the one who asks the questions. And the great question is, would he again heal on the Sabbath? Look at verse 3. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Jesus is in control. Can you just see it? It was Jesus who asked the question. Look at verse 4. Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? It's Jesus who looks around at the uh, evil men around him. Look at verse 5. He was angry and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. See, Jesus is in control. I, I suspect people could see uh, in their faces that that antagonism and that hatred of the religious leaders and in contrast, Jesus was in control. He was distressed, 
but distressed because he loved these people. It's only Mark, in fact, who makes such a, an emphasis a great deal about the look of Jesus. Actually, Luke once mentions it, but Mark quite often talks about when Jesus looked at people, they, they felt something. I don't know if you remember the, I do, the look of the form teacher when uh, you've done something wrong or misbehaved, quivers you. you know, maybe you look at your children or grandchildren and they, they know fully well uh, what you think about what they've done. And I strongly suspect the, uh, that Jesus' accusers, when he asked them this question, they'd have uh, looked a bit embarrassed and looked down. It's, it's these details that show us that this was a real story. It's, it's not a fable. You remember Sam three weeks ago uh, emphasized these little points in the story that this is not a fable. That look. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue. This was his habit. He wanted people to, to know that the outward actions that he did each week going to the synagogue, for us going to church, is very important. Look at verse, uh, verse 2, looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Can't you feel this? This atmosphere that was going on. It's a miserable situation. People looking at every detail of what Jesus did, trying to find fault in him. And then you just feel the atmosphere that Jesus got when he stood up. The authority he, he had. And when he said, stand up in front of everybody. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. If you look through the story, can you see anything wrong that Jesus did? He didn't break any Jewish law here. Look, he, he looked, he saw a man with a withered hand. There's nothing wrong with that. He said, stand up. Oh, nothing wrong with that. He said, stretch out your hand. What's wrong with that? They just hated him. They hated what he stood for. They hated his power, and they hated his independent authority. And Jesus knew what was in their hearts, just as he knows what's in each one of us. And then he asked this brilliant question. Just as a sideline. We were talking about this earlier. How we need to learn to ask questions, get into conversations with people. You're on a walk or at a party. Learn to ask questions. Get interested in them. Verse 4. Jesus asked them. I wonder who the them is. Is it everybody? Uh, was it those people looking for a reason to accuse Jesus? Well, he asked them, what is lawful to do on the Sabbath, that day of rest? To do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? That's a brilliant question, isn't it? Because how do you answer it? If you say uh, it's good, uh, 
to do good. They are justifying what Jesus is doing. If they say it's evil, then the onlookers will, will hate them. So they remained silent. They had no answers. It's interesting. I don't think I've ever met someone who's given really good rational reasons why they're not Christians. When the evidence is there, they stay silent. But how hurt Jesus must have felt at these people and the way they were behaving against him. Here he was, God come in the flesh, and people hate him. He turns to the man, lovely, he says, stretch out your hand. Now remember, that would be impossible. I remember during one of my final exams as a surgeon, I was presented with a man who'd fallen off his motorbike when a young man and he'd damaged the brachial plexus, the nerves in his neck. And his whole hand had withered. It had got contracted. It was scarred. The muscles had gone. <laughs> I was asked the details of what nerves had gone. That was quite a problem. But that's the hand that Jesus restored. Stretch out your hand. Quite impossible. And yet he stretched it out. And his hand was completely restored. Astounding. The muscles bulked out. The contractions freed. The nerves functioned. Now, something very striking in this story. I don't know if you noticed it. What is missing? What would you expect Mark to write down next? Wouldn't you record the reaction of the man or the reaction of the people around, you know, smiling, laughing, I can use my hand. Would you expect the reaction of the Pharisees to be pointed out? I can just see their eyes popping out. Now, the reason for this is that Mark has a message. And that's my next point. And that is a message that is more important than just recounting a historical story. Verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. That's the message Mark wants to get. He wants to tell us the significance of this story and all the stories that he's collected. Remember in Mark... He doesn't tell stories in a chronological way. He puts them together to point out a, a message. And that's why there are some differences between, say, Mark and Luke. We've seen something of this in, in chapter 2, where the, the conflicts, do you remember, are getting worse and worse. You've got those four conflict stories, and it culminates in this verse 6. He wants to kill Jesus. You see, if recounting a historical event, surely he would mention the enthusiasm of the healed man, the remarkable effect it would have on the people there in the synagogue. Yeah. I'm sure uh, Mark knows that people are always tied to their traditions. It's very difficult to change the way people think. 
in my old hospital at the, the Royal Marsden Hospital. When it was muted, the idea of having a cancer hospital in London came up. All the teaching hospitals utterly opposed the idea. What do we want that for? We've got good hospitals here. We don't need that. And it took a lot of politics to get it happening. Now it's one of the prestigious hospitals in London. You know, those of us who enjoy cricket. Do you remember the, the big battles that went on to uh, revitalize the sport, to get T20 going? Deep antagonism to this 20 over stuff. It's coming with the, the 100 now. We don't want this. We just want test matches. It's, it's human nature. I guarantee that if we uh, ever found a, a building for the church, there'd be great tensions. People hate change. Uh, there'd be great opposition. See, what Mark is telling us here is that the shadow of the cross has already fallen across Jesus' pathway. The opposition is building up. They want to kill him, away with him. See, he's preparing us for the story of the crucifixion. This is the whole point of the book. His crucifixion wasn't a great mistake forced on by, onto Pilate by the pressure of the Pharisees and the uh, pressure of the people. No, right from the beginning of the Old Testament. This is what the Bible teaches. Will be rejected by men and will die as the ultimate sacrifice for you and me. And just flick over, you've got your Bible, look on to Mark 8, Mark 8, 31. He then began to teach them. This is Jesus. What did he teach? That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. The Old Testament is full of this. Do you remember Isaiah 53 verse 3? He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and held in low esteem. That was the Messiah's lot, right from the beginning. John emphasizes this in the, the prologue of his gospel. Uh, John, John 1. He was in the world, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Even the Jews. He came to that which was his own. His own did not receive him. Yet the great verse. Yet to, uh, the fundamental default of both religious people and secular people is to prepare, prefer what we want and reject the word of God. We're seeing it now on questions like abortion, on the right to talk about Jesus. I was reading in my quiet time this morning, uh, Psalm 50. You, you hate my instruction, God says, and cast my words behind you. Wow. 
You look at the history of the Reformation in, uh, in this country and in Germany. Godly men like Tyndale, the translator of the Bible. Remember what happened to him? Burnt at the stake. Cranmer, Latimer, Ridley. All men who brought the Bible back to this country. What happened to them? Yeah, killed, burnt at the stake. And we could go on. Why? They taught apostolic truths. If there's apostles... What happened to them? Eleven out of the twelve probably were killed, either by the mob or by the authorities, for insisting that Jesus is God's Messiah and salvation is only given to those who are committed to him. So, Mark has a message. Now, what is the warning for today? Jesus... Uh, lived in a Christ-rejecting world. And frankly, so do we now. I don't know if you uh, saw in Evangelicals Now, the monthly magazine, uh, there's a whole group of examples of people who are being persecuted because they're Christians. You hear about in, uh, in Libya, northwest Libya, a Sharia court has just condemned uh, a man to... Death. His crime? Because he's a Christian and he refuses to return to Islam. <laughs> it's wretched, isn't it? The death penalty for uh, sane adults is compulsory for those who reject Islam. And that's in all schools of Islam. See, new Christians will soon discover the opposition and antagonism. I suspect we've all seen it somewhere from work colleagues, uh, from nearest and dearest. The pressure will always be to go with the flow. Don't stand up clearly as Jesus did. We all know the picture. Any old dead fish can float with the tribe, with with the tide and the flow. But when it becomes alive, it quickly realizes that the current is against it. That in spite of the pressures, God wants each of us to behave like Jesus, to be strong, to keep that confidence as we're talking with people, to have good questions, to be able to answer criticisms. But to openly follow Jesus will mean, inevitably, that each of us will face tough times. The only safe way is to uh, pretend you're dead and go with the tide. Look at what happened to, to Jesus. Look at the, uh, later on, 3.20. There, the crowd gathered, uh, and his family heard about it. And what did they do? They made excuses for him. He's, he's out of his mind, they said about Jesus. His family. Well, let's finish with an even more uh, disturbing and actually profound discovery. See, all of us are naturally 
opposed to God. It's our default position. We, we think of ourselves, all people do, as naturally amiable, uh, pleasant. Maybe uh, we're a little bit sitters on the fence. But uh, the Bible says people like that are hostile to God. Didn't Jesus say, he who is not with me is against me? He who does not gather with me scatters. Oh, you hear people say, well, as if it didn't matter, I, I gave up on God uh, in my teens when my dad died. As if it didn't matter. I could never forgive God for allowing this or that to happen to me. You see, it's putting God in the dock. But that's the wrong way around. It should be us. The Bible's position is very clear. You see, just at the right time, it says in Romans, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. And it goes on, 5.8, Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we are naturally dead in our sin. Nobody will have an intention to follow Christ until God stepped in and changed how we think. We have been chosen by God. Isn't that thrilling? We're naturally dead, but God steps in and gives us this heart to want to follow the Lord Jesus now, back to 3 verse 6 here. It's such a sad message. Religious establishments, secular establishments, are hostile against God and against his people. And when we start swimming against the tide, then we'll know it. <laughs> Last year, during lockdown, I was uh, teaching uh, a weekly group in China on Zoom. Uh, and the authorities apparently got to hear of it and shut it down. It wasn't political. It was talking about Jesus. Recently, we tried to start a, uh, one of these discussion groups with the uh, Letchworth uh, Arts and Craft group. Uh, the, uh, we, what we called it Faith must be evidence-based. The committee rejected this. Although at the same meeting, they said that they would accept a discussion group by LGBT because uh, they might be sued if they didn't. There is a natural antagonism to consider the claims of Jesus. There's an immense amount of evidence that the story about him, his teaching, his death, his resurrection... <coughs> is true, but people just don't want it. Jesus offers us the way into his kingdom. The invitation is given to us, this one here. There is no other way, but still people want to reject him. <laughs> Even in some churches now, they're not actually swimming against the 
the tide of society. They want to, to please everyone around. The only trouble is such churches will always peter out. Those that teach God's word are always the ones that will survive. Some time ago, there was an Anglican synod in uh, West Canada. Uh, the bishop, who was not uh, a man of the Bible, invited a local Indian chief to give a talk to all the clergy. He stood up and he talked about the, the great spirit he and his ancestors worshipped. And at the end, he invited all the clergy to stand up, lift up their hands, and to acknowledge the great spirit. Do you know, 90% of the clergy did just that. They, they stood up. Only apparently 10% uh, of the clergy stayed sitting. They were the, the Bible-teaching people. Then the, the bishop uh, announced two very clearly Christian hymns. Uh, but the Indian chief, uh, clearly, although a very elderly, courteous man, he clearly understood what was going on because he remained seated and refused to get involved in the hymns. He knew clearly where he stood, but the clergy clearly didn't. Jesus is not the same as some amorphous great spirit. See, our society again is facing great problems, economic, political, social problems. They're disasters everywhere. And we can say whose fault it is, but it's the inevitable result that God is not in control. How do we come to terms with what's happening in Ukraine? How do we understand the behavior of the Ayatollah and his forces in Iran at the moment? Yet the king of this world, he came once. His purpose was to establish a kingdom of willing servants like Jesus, who are committed to standing up for God's kingdom, for spreading it and doing what is good. And people decided to kill him. But he will come again in judgment. He'll sort out the sheep from the goats. Those who are following Jesus, and the way Jesus explained it, those people who are in my kingdom will behave towards other Christians in, my, uh, in this way. We'll care for them. Greed and violence keep breaking out. But Jesus stands there judging each one of us. And the world still didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own. But his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. If we're not part of the solution, passing on this message, then I'm afraid we're part of the problem.
We must stand up as Jesus did for our Lord. And people will refuse to bow before him. In Jesus' day, the ablest of men plotted to kill him. And today, it will be the same. They won't want Jesus to stand on his rightful throne. Let's pray. Lord, this is a, a tough lesson. And yet we thank you that you faced opposition to bring salvation to us. Lord, please help us to stand up honestly and graciously to bring your salvation to other people. For Christ's sake. Amen.